Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. This is Peter Jankowski, and today I'm excited to be speaking with Stan Westgarth, the North America General Manager for Revolut. Revolut is a UK challenger bank that launched in 2015 with a mission to build the world's first truly global bank. Today, it offers support to customers in over 30 countries and has over 4 million users. Stan has been with Revolut since its early days and is currently responsible for its launch in the United States. Prior to this role, Dan was part of the broader Revolut International launch team, setting up local businesses in over eight markets. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Perfect. So to start, could you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. So I grew up in the north of England. I studied in Newcastle. Uh, I got to studying a real estate degree. Um, I did a year out in London working for a commercial real estate company. I then, when I graduated, went into a real estate role for around six months, and then I found this really cool company called Revolut. At the time, there was maybe four to five people. I reached out to the CEO and had a partnership over LinkedIn, and now uh, I'm here today as the general manager for uh, Revolut North America. I initially started out working in the business development team, the partnerships team. Uh, I transitioned into an international expansion general management role where um, my team and I handled expansion of several different geographies around the globe. And then most recently, um, I've given the opportunity to relocate to, to New York and open the office and build the team here in America. That's great. So excited to, to dig into the U.S. expansion with you. But just before we get there, for those of us less familiar with Revolut in the U.S., uh, could you tell us a little bit about the company and its history? Yeah, sure. So Revolut was founded by two investment banking professionals, Nick and Vlad. Nick was a trader at Lehman and Credit Suisse. Vlad was a systems engineer at Deutsche. And they, they had the vision of building a digital banking type proposition. So they started out with a pretty um, basic initial stack, and that was, a, that was a prepaid card. And prepaid cards are nothing new. They've been around for several to, to many years, really. There are a bunch of prepaid issuers, a bunch of, a bunch of prepaid players. What Nick and Vlad did is they layered on an FX component to a prepaid card. So you had this prepaid card issued by Revolut on the MasterCard or Visa network. And layered on top of that, you had a professional-grade trading system. So our customers were able to sign up for Revolut and change their balances from, say, US dollar to euro using the interbank exchange rate instantly. And that really caught the attention of the media and our industry and really catapulted us into the, into the limelight. We had a very successful initial six months. We acquired hundreds of thousands of customers and we, we grew very quickly in terms of uh, people, in terms of investor interest. Eventually we got that um, required funding to really scale. And since then we've really grown the, the uh, offering and the, and, and the product to a full banking suite. So we're no longer a prepaid card with an FX element, we offer a full digital banking suite of services. That's really a checking type experience. The customers can open an account with us and they have a checking account type experience in I think 28 currencies. Customers can freely move the money between accounts at the interbank rate. They can make peer-to-peer transfers within the Revolut network. They can make international money transfers anywhere in the world. They can buy and sell and custody cryptocurrencies. 
they can buy insurance for their smartphone or for their, for their cell if they're traveling. They can access credit. They can access wealth products such as robo-advisor-esque funds, and soon they'll be able to also buy and sell uh, equities using Revolut. So all in all, we started out as the prepaid, prepaid card plus FX. Since matured into this um, large or deep and wide suite of banking services, um, and, and that's where we are today. That's been quite a bit of growth in just a few years. So going back to where you guys started with the EFX component, what was the inspiration for that idea, and what allowed you to do it, whereas others hadn't done something like that before? I, I think um, our founders noticed the problem, and I think that they they experienced that firsthand. So they, they went abroad and they uh, they used their domestic banks in a foreign environment and saw a, a bunch of foreign exchange fees and other charges. So they 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 solved for that with with Revolut. I think they did it very well because of the experience they had being an IB trader and an IB systems engineer. They they, they had the necessary skills. They knew how to do it. And they built a product which was far better than anything else in the market at that time. And given that you started with that as the heart of your value prop, has that attracted a certain type of customer segment? And has that remained constant as you've grown? Or have you have you found yourself expanding to, to appeal to a broader range of customers? So initially it did attract a, a certain segment. These customers are typically are typically not millennials, typically a little bit older typically working in metropolitan areas, typically in finance or, or consulting and the like, typically above average income, high level of education. That was our, our you know, our base, our initial customer base. Since then, it changed. We have a, a mainstream reach, so we see customers from all different um, um, segments, if you will. And we also see, I would say, individual or unique customer tranches which directly correlate to the products we offer. So we really like niches at Revolut. The FX component that we started with was, you could call it a, a niche. You could call the cryptocurrency a niche. What I'm saying is when you have a stack of niches, perhaps 10 or 20 of them, and you're then attractive to different tranches of customer who tell their friends, you have this amazing word of mouth ripple effect, which allowed us to grow to over 4 million users, 4 million retail users in Europe in an incredibly short amount of time. So talk a little bit about the different niche customer segments that you think about targeting. Who are some of these niches? How do you think about building out value propositions to target these niches? And is there a trade-off between targeting too many niche customer segments and losing the core value proposition that's made you successful for some of those customers? I think mainstream financial products start off as, as niches. So the ability to, to change dollars into euro, into pounds at the interbank rate really is a very niche product. The point I'm going to make is it starts out as a niche but is actually relevant to many people, you know, a, a lot of people. In our case, over 4 million people in, in Europe. And I think that we've learned from that and we're now applying it to different areas of our product. So the ability to store and exchange cryptocurrencies, again, started off extremely niche. You then saw cryptocurrency apps 
and, and businesses becoming some of the fastest growing in 2018. And I think that we'll see that again later down the road with crypto. And I think that we, we will see the same with all different types of financial products. So that's really the, the, the thought behind it. And I don't think we focus away from our core, our core product. I mean, the way that we design the app and the way that we design the product is the, the checking account type experience always to the core. So the customer can open up an account, the money is, is in that account. All the other stuff, I would say, is going on around the core. So it doesn't really move the focus away from the core. It's that these are more like add-ons. And it's really, it's really, it's not creating a financial supermarket which compares a load of different products. It's something, I would say, similar to a convenience store or, or uh, a bodega, but a well-priced convenience store and with good, quali- good quality products, all in, in, in one place, under one brand, offered by one company. Got it. And you mentioned earlier some of the, the products that you've built out around the core offering. And I know that right now you, you have a beta trial of what you're calling your perks program. You recently made a senior hire focused on your wealth business. Could you talk a little bit about how you think about rolling out new products and any glimpses into what might be next on your product roadmap? Yeah, I think product roadmap is driven by customer demand and also um, our, our people internally. If if people internally see a good opportunity and and have a good idea, then it, it goes straight up to uh, the CEO. And I, I say straight up, I should really say straight across because we have an incredibly flat structure at, at Revolut. So so that's really how we we decide or or at least um, review product suggestions and then yeah we just we start with the technology so we, we we design the product start from wireframes right away through to designs and eventually production apps and then we build the necessary business team risk team compliance team around each product so taking perks for example somebody within our organization had a great idea that oh we want to launch a, a perks product and if customers spend at certain merchants and um, in in a, in a pattern, we can we may push those customers um, offerings, which will give them discounts or, in other words, perks. So uh, initially, we we're funding those perks from our balance sheet. So if we give somebody a discount, we're, we're paying for that. But as the volume increases, we then have a very compelling uh, business proposition to retailers and say, oh, we can uh, we can increase your footfall, we can increase your sales volume. Would you like to partner with us? And I think I think we take the same the same approach in all different uh, business lines. Um, in terms of what, what's coming next, uh, the next big thing for us is the wealth and trading product. So customers will be able to to buy into uh, into wealth products and also trade equities. And we're we're, we're sort of very close to launching that and have the necessary uh, teams in, in place and, and product in place. I, I use the app. Uh, very recently, and it, it looks it looks awesome. So the the, the trading uh, the trading part, um, so really excited to get that to market. Um, as is everyone else in Revolut, it's, it's a really cool product. So from my vantage point across the pond, it seems like there's quite a bit of competition in the UK among various challenger banks emerging. Is that something that you see, or uh, do you see a lot of white space for growth 
So uh, first of all, I'd like to explain why there are um, so many players in Europe, and I think that's uh, there's two reasons. The first is that the regulatory um, environment in Europe is very friendly, and it's easy for fintechs to get licensed. Second, to that payment system access is a lot easier than the US. And when I mean payment systems, I mean interbank payments, for example, UK faster payments, uh, the single euro payment area in Europe, and also the, the card associations, so the brands that you, you see on your cards. And I think those two factors have really created over a hundred digital banking type companies and businesses in Europe. Now that does make things competitive, but I think right now the, the players which started earlier are significantly ahead of the others. I think those, those, there are a, a small group of names that are at the front of the race, and I think that they will continue to move fastest, continue to innovate best, and ultimately win when it comes to competition. Got it. And could you tell us a bit more about the regulatory environment and how that affects your business? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, for example, in Europe or in the UK, we started out partnering with an existing financial services company. They let us get to market very quickly. After some time, we were able to migrate to our own electronic money license. The capital thresholds are low relative to other parts of the world. Uh, it, allowed, it allowed us to operate our digital account proposition in its entirety. It allowed us to get access to the payment networks. And all in all, it was, it was, it was a really good process. Now, if you compare that to other parts of the world, such as the United States or Canada, the, uh, the licensing process is not as straightforward. It's, in, in fact, in some, in some cases, such license does not even exist. Makes sense. And I'm excited to dig into some of the differences between the UK and, and, and the US with you. But just, just before we get there, switching gears a bit to international expansion more broadly, in the next three years, you've announced plans to expand to, to offer local accounts in about 15 countries. Could you talk a little bit about how you've gone about prioritizing where and how to expand? Yeah, so first of all, if you look if we look at markets globally, we select in markets which A have a high population, high GDP, or B have population that is highly relevant to our product. So a population of expats which typically transact in multiple currencies, perhaps remit money globally good adoption rates um, to technology. So an example would be Singapore. Small population, but our product is extremely relevant to, 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 the, to the population, and the population are very receptive to technology. And internally, how have you guys organized around this international expansion? Has there been a centralized team, or have there been local teams focused on each of the, each of the geographies? Uh, it, it's both, actually. So we, we have local teams in each geography, and then we have a central team with a, a centralized product owner, which really cross-coordinate product changes, licensing strategy, all that kind of stuff. Got it. So now turning to the U.S. a little bit, could you talk about where you are in the launch process today and, and how you plan to launch in the U.S.? Yeah. So uh, in, the, in the U.S., we have some really strong partnerships 
um, we will allow customers to open up an account with an FDIC insured bank so that customers' money isn't insured by the uh, FDIC. We've been working on our setup for some time now. We're, we're in, the, in the final stages um, and soon we'll be able to offer our products to residents of the U.S. So um, just circling back on, uh, on on the proposition here, customers can open up an account with our, uh, our bank partner. Um, the bank partner would then uh, issue uh, a, debit, a debit card to them and thus the customer has the full digital banking position, which is uh, similar to what we're doing in Europe. And is the, the product and the offering that you're launching with in the in the U.S. is it similar to what you've used in the U.K. and elsewhere, or are there certain things that you're changing for the U.S. market? It's similar in the most part, but there are there are things that we are changing. We find that U.S. consumers use financial services in a slightly different way to Europeans, and there are small and subtle changes which create a good user experience for our, for our U.S. customers. But but generally speaking, the, the product is the same for the most part. Could you speak a little bit to those differences, U.S. consumers versus those in the U.K.? Yeah, it, it, it's things like how a customer may fund their account, how a customer may um, receive direct deposit into the account, how they may manage reoccurring payments, how they may manage... Um, international remittances, that kind of stuff. So the subtle changes in the in the front end to create a seamless user experience rather than uh, huge product changes. We are working on some really exciting uh, surprises, if you will, for the. But uh, we will release those at a later date. Excited to hear what those are. And so, how long have you been in the U.S. now, and and when should we expect a launch? Um, and Part of the reason I ask is I'm just curious, you know, getting a new product off the ground obviously takes a lot of work, and so I'd love to hear any sort of unexpected surprises or, or challenges that you guys have had to work through. Yeah, so we've, we've, been, we've had a team visiting the U.S. Um, and, and doing business here, scoping out the market for quite some time. We've had, we've had a, a, a team here in New York for a, a shorter amount of time. The challenges and surprises have really been in the in the payment systems themselves. So, for example, card payments have switched in different ways to other parts of the world. So, you that creates a big project in itself to convert our uh, card processing and card card payment unit from Europe to US standards. That, that took a lot of time. Similarly, the ACH network here in the, in the U.S. Is, is different to other parts of the world. All of this stuff, uh, all of this stuff takes time, um, and, and you can't always plug into an existing vendor or, or partner that's been doing this for many years because um, they don't expose the necessary data fields that you would like, that you would like to plug into your product to truly innovate. So if, if you go with these guys, you're really the, the fintech gatekeepers. Um, you're then forced to develop your product in a certain way, and we don't want to do that. We're we're a truly innovative company, so we've actually spent a lot of time developing our own backend systems to work with with the U.S. networks, which is which has been really impressive. And I think that yes, it's taken a long time, but 
the end product is going to be worth it. And can you can you speak a little bit more to the differences in terms of ensuring compatibility between card processing and ACH and whatnot? Uh, sure. I mean, they're not, they're not too exciting. But um, for example, in, in in card payments in the United States, regulation mandates secondary networks on uh, debit debit cards. So rather than, than just issuing cards with with one brand, there needs to be a secondary non-affiliated network on the card. That, that creates additional work. Uh, the message types are, uh, are actually different, so you need to certify for those and ensure that you're, you're switching transactions properly. The ACH network moves differently to what we thought were comparable networks in, uh, in other countries, and so that, that, is, that has taken time to, uh, to figure out and integrate with. And just things like that that are, are different to other parts of the world in this country and they they take time the project to to build and integrate with these these networks. Right. Can you talk a little bit about the company's culture and how it's changed since you've been there? Since you know you've really been there since the early days and have seen the company grow quite a bit over the last few years. Yeah, sure. So I think the company's culture in the early days was a function of the founding, the, the founders and the and the wider initial team, which was pretty small, about ten people, and it was a function of their personalities. Um, and this set of people were, were some of the most inspiring people I've ever met. They were incredibly driven. And they had a, 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 an incredible motivation to, to build this business. And the end goal really felt a million miles away. So initially you had a culture which was really about getting stuff done and delivering results. And I think that has stuck with the company and will continue to stick with the company as we scale. I think that since growing from that, you know, relatively small group of people relative to other organizations to 800 people now, there have been slight, slight changes in, in the culture. And I think that Revolut is a great place for people to come to work. I think it's, it's good fun. I think people have direct ownership of what they do, even more at this size. And I think every single person within our company has an impact. And you mentioned your ambitious hiring plans. Um, for those who might be interested, in working at Revolut, can you talk about what you look for in potential hires? Yeah, I think I think first the first thing we look for is a good culture fit. So we look for like-minded people that really are committed and, and, and want to build something and want to work towards uh, you know the goal that we we we've talked about here, which is creating the world's first truly global bank. I think that's that's what we look for in, in the first instance. And then we look for uh, technical ability. Every one of our hires, no matter which department they reside, should be able to explain technical solutions in, in simple terms. It's really important that the team can articulate things and it makes uh, cross-team working really fun and, and, and efficient to, to be working with uh, like-minded smart people, regardless of their profession or their specialty. Uh, that's really what we, uh, what we look for. And then uh, uh, a passion for their for their subject matter. So, for example, if we're hiring for a, a business development, we're looking for people that are, that are true entrepreneurs that have that want to cut deals and and, and want to uh, meet people and, and shake hands. Or if we're looking for product owners, we're looking for people that that are obsessed with user experience, which understand how apps work inside out. They understand all the touch points. They understand what what make customers experience bad or makes customers experience good and just really want to take full ownership and, and optimize the front end. So 
I think I could go on for hours and go through each department and, and get examples of, uh, of why people would be a good fit. But I think looping back, it's really important that the culture fit is right or the team, the team fit is, is right. And the, the person is really behind the, the, the goal of um, what we're trying to do here. Got it. Thanks, Dan. And just in closing, could you share what you're most excited about for Revolut going forward? Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it's it's building the, the global um, um, institution where customers can spend money between each other. I think that the the possibilities are, are endless. I mean, we talk about sending money, but it can go as much deeper than that. And send any any type of asset class to give customers instant availability to, to their to their uh, to their assets globally is is I think it's really impressive. I think when you layer on lending, it becomes even more interesting. You can then uh, loop in commodities and securities. And really, I mean, the possibilities are literally endless. So it's very exciting for me to see uh, to see what we will deliver. And I think it's about building a, a global brand. Like we don't want to be known as, as Revolut Bank. At least I personally don't want to be known as Revolut Bank. I, I want to be known as, as Revolut, which is a globally recognized brand, which people should and can use to get a free and international access to their money. Thanks, Dan. Well, we're excited to watch your growth and look forward to your launch in the U.S. Okay. Well, uh, thanks, Peter, for having me today. I, I enjoyed it and hope we can speak again soon.